You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk with world-renowned leaders all over the globe about what it takes to truly pay the price of leadership. And today, I am so excited because my guest is Rebecca Zung. And Rebecca is one of the top 1% of attorneys in the nation, having been recognized in the U.S. News and World Report as a best lawyer in America. But her journey wasn't always easy. Married at 19, for the first time, she had three children by the age of 23, and then was a divorced single mom when she decided to go back to law school. She went from being a single mom, college dropout, becoming one of the most powerful lawyers in the country at the helm of a multi-million dollar practice. She is now committed to sharing her secrets and empowering others to live their lives at an optimal level of success personally and professionally. Rebecca, I am so excited to have you on our podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk with you. I love it. And for the listeners out there, I crossed paths with Rebecca through Mark Victor Hansen. So y'all know that I interviewed him several months ago. And again, we talk a lot about advocates. Mark is just one of those guys. He not only asks, but he gives and gives and gives. And gives he and gives. with Rebecca and we chatted, I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago. And just, I mean, just like that. And we're going to be working on some other things too. So Rebecca, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yes, I agree. Mark is probably one of the biggest givers that I have seriously ever met in my life. I can't even, every day his generosity blows me away. And I just mentioned that here because what a tremendous inspiration and a leader he really is in that way. He is. Talk about the real deal and just giving back. One of the things that he and my dad were dear friends, they shared the stage. And even when I interviewed him, I didn't realize how far back it went and how many gazillions of books they sold together and just the rapport. I mean, I knew of it, but not that much. But my father wrote a speech many, many years ago. He was all about leadership and it was called The Price of Leadership. And for those of us listening, if you go over to our website, we actually have a free download of this. But my father said that, you know, leadership is a beautiful thing, but it's also a really difficult thing. And we all have the privilege of leading at something. But he clearly carved out four things that you're going to encounter as a leader. He was very pragmatic. And Rebecca, I would love to get your insights. You had quite a storied career. And like they say, I've never been a great person with an easy past. So I'd love to hear your perspective on these different topics and how this pertains to you and your leadership journey. Totally. I mean, I graduated second in my class from high school. So, and my dad was a physician. He had gone to Columbia. He was from China. He had not had an easy road, but he definitely was very much all about success and education. You know, I remember one time when I was young saying, you know, oh, maybe I'll be a nurse. And I remember him saying, why would you do that? If you're smart enough to be a doctor, like in his mind, you know, it was always achieve the highest that you possibly can. And, uh, you know, my mother was German or is German. She's still alive. And, you know, so I, I always say I have no fun genes whatsoever. <laughs> Chinese and German, like, ah. <laughs> so, you know, so I think getting married at 19 and dropping out of college was my version of rebellion. It was like, okay, I need to stop the pressure here. And so I thought, what better way <laughs> in my 19-year-old wisdom than get married and, you know, have three kids by the time I'm 23, right? And it was at that point that I thought, 
you know, I'm sitting there in this marriage, which was not the greatest because, you know, <laughs> 19, right. not that he was a bad guy and I'm certainly not bad mouthing, you know, him, but you know, you can't really make a life choice at 19 most of the time. So mm-hmm. I decided at that point I needed to do something with myself. So I finished college with my kids and that was not easy. They were five, four and two when I finished my bachelor's degree. And then, you know, the marriage wasn't going well. And I really, you know, law school for me was survival. It was put food on the kid's table and put a roof over our heads. Honestly, that was really what I was thinking at the time. But I definitely had naysayers. I mean, I had people who, well, I remember one person actually said to me, you know, why are you going to go to law school? There's way too many lawyers. I know somebody who is bagging groceries. They graduated from law school and they're bagging groceries. And I just remember thinking at the time, well, somebody's going to get a job. Everybody's not going to end up bagging groceries. So why wouldn't it be me? You know, I mean, and so I think so many times it's like that crab thing, you know, where like when the crab gets to the top, the other crabs want to pull them back into the pot. You know, they don't want to see you doing better or excelling, you know, getting past where they think they are or where they think they can go. They don't realize that they also have the ability to do whatever they want to do. But, you know, Mm. I think for me, it's just always been, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to make it happen for myself. And does that mean that I've never had doubts? No, I have certainly had doubts many times along my path where I have, you know, when I opened my law practice and I signed a lease to for office space and I hired a paralegal and I thought, God, I hope I bring enough business in to make all this happen. And it's not going to be like financial ruin for my family. I mean, of course I was worried about that. And I remember my best friend, she said to me, oh, your problem is going to be too many clients, not not enough. And I was like, God, I hope she's right. But, you know, I, of course I had doubts. And of course I've always had naysayers, always. Because whenever you're trying to do something that's out there where you have success or you are achieving, there's going to be somebody out there who has something to say about it, you know? I love it. And who the hell she thinks she is? (laughs) And she thinks she's better than everybody else. Whatever. And that's their own story. I mean, that's them. I love that. Well, and I love that crab pot principle. I mean, that that cracks me up because, you know, I've been crabbing. So the first thing he did say was loneliness. And I hear you talking about threads of, you know, everybody thinks, oh, you know, and I love it when people are like, oh, just declare what you're going to do. And so people do. And then all of a sudden they're like, where's all the accolades? And I'm like, accolades are not guaranteed. You know what I'm saying? And so my dad would talk about, hey, it's lonely at the top. A lot of times when you're following your vision, it sounds like sometimes your vision is the only thing that you're hearing. Now, you know, typically we have one or two people at least, but it sounds like there were times where you really, you know, had to be very clear in heeding your own voice because there weren't a lot of supporting voices around. Yes, that's definitely true. But that means that, you know, maybe those aren't the right people, you know, Mm -hmm. and one of my favorite 
these sayings is stop trying to make not your people, your people, Oh man, you know, because sometimes your people, you know, I remember hearing Will Smith one time he did, I think he just went on like Instagram live or something. And he just started talking and he was like, are you with people who are fanning your flames or dousing your fire? Uh And and if they're not fanning your flames and they ain't your people. Right. And so find people who are going to help you and support you. And those people, if you just ask God, ask the universe, ask whoever it is that you talk to out in the ether to bring it to you, then it will come. Mm -hmm. These people will show up, but it does get lonely sometimes. I mean, because you do, especially as an entrepreneur, if you're a solopreneur and you are the only one who is running your company or running your empire or whatever it is that you're running, it can be lonely for sure. There are times that you feel like the world is against you and you're the only one. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you find yourself, you know, having your own little pity party. Hey, why is it me? And table of one pity party. (laughs) And it ain't fair. And you know, I had what I do at what I ever do to them. I was I've always been so nice to them. How come they don't like me or whatever? And you just go, you know what? how is this serving me? How is this serving me? How is this serving others? This ain't going anywhere. And, you know, I remember having this moment where I was being attacked by a narcissist, which is, you know, I talk about negotiating with narcissists. That's what I teach people how to do. And the reason why I really started doing this is because I had been preyed upon by a narcissist in a business situation. And I remember having this moment, uh, my aha moment, I was on the top of a mountain in Maui, actually. And I remember thinking, oh my God, if I'm like obsessing about and ruminating over this situation, I'm not in creation mode. I'm not doing anything that serves my soul. I'm not doing anything that's helping other people. So you got to be in one or the other. You can't be in both. I love it. I love it. So that's really what continued to drive me. And, you know, since then I've created a YouTube channel, which I recommend, you know, if anybody wants tips on negotiating with narcissists in any setting, business or personal, come check me out there. But I started that. My channel went from zero subscribers to 100,000 and 6 million views in 10 months because I was finally in my place, you know, serving my soul. And since then I've met incredible people who are like-minded like me, like you, for example, and many others who are my people. And it's beautiful. So once you make that decision to not serve the darkness and be in victim mode, it actually becomes the antithesis of being lonely. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm surrounded by incredible people now. Right. That's a beautiful way to put it. Okay. So you talking about you've had this incredible growth and you've come through a lot of challenges and you're resilient. The next price my father talked about is weariness. So can you speak to that? Because it is it is tiring. Sometimes we are the only ones and sometimes even when we have the right people, but there's all different kind of weariness. Uh, not all of it bad, but could you share with it how you stay replenished? Hmm. How, how do you deal with weariness? Yeah, that's a great question because 
I actually didn't do that well for a long time. I had this vision to create the number one family law practice in Southwest Florida. And then I was so focused on getting there that when I got there, the realization of it was that I had a massive number of employees. I had all these lawyers and paralegals and people working for me. I had 50 plus cases, all multi-million dollar clients who were extremely demanding. I was trying to be a mother to my four children, be a wife to my husband, and wasn't really doing any of them very well. I mean, I had gotten to a point where I was like so overwhelmed, so tired. You know, I would go to the bathroom at my office and I would walk out and the paralegals were lined up with their legal pads waiting for me to get out of the bathroom to ask me a question. And I was like, space people, like, I seriously, I am a human, you know, like, let me go to the bathroom. And like, it was that bad. And I finally said to myself, I can't do this anymore. I cannot continue in this way. And my youngest was 14 and just starting high school. And I knew that she was going to be gone in a few years. And so Three and a half years ago, I made the choice to merge my practice with two other guys. I moved to California and I decided I'm going to give myself space to breathe and I'm never, ever, ever putting myself into that position ever again. And so now I've designed a life where I create videos and I have a program that's downloadable, that's pre-recorded. I do a very limited number of one-on-one coaching sessions. I hold a certain number of spaces open on my calendar for that. And when they're filled, that's it. You know, they have to go to the next one, whatever it is. I'm very, very, very vigilant about that because it, it was like to the point of making myself sick. I had autoimmune issues, all kinds of things. And so finding that balance is so, so, so critical. I love it. And I love that, you know, stop doing it to yourself. I love that you're telling people, hey, you have to set healthy boundaries. When people grouse, well, the boss told me this. Come on. No, they didn't. You can always say, oh, they have to work on Christmas. Did they volunteer? Because if they volunteered, then you know what I'm saying? So I love that you set healthy boundaries. And because there's nothing more important than taking care of that. Because you can't create if you're tired or burnout. No. And it's not even fair. Like I really, you know, integrity is very, very important to me. And it's something that is one of my, I would call core values. And, you know, so for me to not be a hundred percent and show up and give my clients 110% felt like that's not good enough. Right. And so I felt like if I can't do that, then it's not fair to them. And I don't want to do that. I love that. I love that you tied, you know, and you were probably getting tired too, because you were deviating from your convictions. And so I tell people that too, if if you're getting emotionally weary, you probably need to dial in your values somewhere because you're starting to get a little scope creep and uh, you need to get back on true North. And then that tends to, you know, give you this energy, you know? Yeah. And it's, I'm so much more fulfilled now because I'm actually helping people all over the world. And so I've been able to, but you know, I had to get over my own like thing. I remember having this conversation with my business coach, who's also happens to be one of my best friends. And I said, I just feel like the only way I can make money is being a lawyer. I feel like I can't make money in any other way. And she said, it's just the brain remembering. And I I thought that was just such a powerful thing because she was like that. It's not the law practice that's making the money. It was you 
and you have the ability to make money in whatever way you decide that you want to make money. And that was such a powerful thought for me when she said, it's just the brain remembering. I love that. Well, my dad said something similar. He'd say, Tracy, the job doesn't make you, you make the job. Wherever you go, if you bring, like you said, your brain with you, you're going to implant that wherever you go. Yeah. I mean, and it's really just the ability to tap into source, whatever source is for people. Some people call it God or others call it the universe, or even if it's, you know, just tapping into the energy Mm -hmm. of the world, you know, however you want to put it, it's learning how to tap into that and aligning your soul with that. Mm, Beautiful. I love that. And I love where you said, serve your soul. I love that when you were talking earlier about it, not to ruminate. Okay. So we did loneliness. We did weariness. The next thing my dad talked about is in leadership, abandonment. And I know abandonment typically has a negative connotation, but his point was we need to stop thinking about what we like and want to think about in favor of what we ought and need to think about. So it was more of like this intense hyper-focus because we only have a certain amount of sources and resources in a day. But how, what does abandonment mean to you? And how do you stay on point, Rebecca? You know, I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can think of is, you know, when I was dealing with a lot of staff and I felt like, oh, I have to have this staff because I don't want to have to train somebody else. I don't want to have to be without somebody who can help me on this particular point. I don't want to have to explain to the community why my people left or whatever. Maybe it'll look, maybe look bad in some way. And, you know, maybe in some ways that was a fear of abandonment. And so what I ended up doing was keeping people who weren't in integrity, Mm -hmm. who weren't doing their jobs properly, Mm -hmm. who, you know, weren't necessarily responsible, you know, all kinds of things that were out of alignment with myself and my own core values. I looked the other way, maybe because of that fear of abandonment and it ended up biting me always. And so, you know, If something is out of alignment with yourself and your own core values and who you are, just, you know, rip the bandaid off. It's not going to get better in the end. I can't believe you said that. I mean, for our listeners out there, I will echo what Rebecca said. You can feel it, you know it. And I never thought of it in terms, because I inherited second generation business. So I inherited a lot of things. I'm like, but if I change it up or get rid of this, even though it may not be working right, is it going to look like, oh, Tracy's the mean one? And it's like, in the end, it's going to play out. So the sooner you know that, hey, we're not aligned, you're not all in, probably weren't before, but I see it new because I'm an outsider. And I just, man, I can't believe you said that. That really resonated with me. And I know it's going to resonate for a lot of our listeners too. Yeah. I mean, it just ended up biting me in the end. I mean, you know, and you can't fix it either. Right. I mean, if people are out of alignment, I mean, I even tried to bring in my business coach to work with them. I tried to motivate them in different ways. Oh, I tried giving them what they wanted, you know, all these things. But, you know, if they're just not, if they're not there, if they don't have those core values that you have, you can't feed it to them. You can't give it to them. You can't motivate them from within. It just doesn't happen. Uh Uh-huh. All right. I'm writing it. Okay. Excellent. I had to write this point down. I love that. You know, values, you said that you can't instill that. You can't feed character. It's either that you can nurture it and develop it, but you can't feed values. And there's a term leadership literature, value congruence. I always tell people when you take that J-O-B, don't just look at the paycheck. Make sure that, you know, you're all in with their culture, their values, and their people are all over the space because otherwise it's not going to be well with your soul. And there's going to be a rub in your 
eventually going to have to leave because it's not your company. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. Or if it is your company, you're eventually going to have to fire them. Right. And, oh, and, that, yeah. and, and now a lot of times you've fed the beast for so long that they're actually, you know, incensed by the fact that you're firing them because they felt entitled. Really? I can't believe that would ever happen. Oh my, I cannot believe. Thank you for your transparency in saying that. I mean, because that is what will happen. And for you guys that are out there, I'm glad you're listening because you're probably thinking, oh, she just spoke that word to me. Trust me, I will echo everything she said and it will not be pretty, you know? So the sooner you can address this, the better. Thank you. Absolutely, Rebecca. All right. So loneliness, weariness, abandonment. The last thing my dad talked about was vision. And I think sometimes I know vision for me, I was always like, well, I just, I'm an operations girl. I'm not really a visionary. But his point was that vision is really just seeing what needs to be done and then doing it. So there's this very much a creative side, but also this very pragmatic application side. How do you stay on your vision? How do you amplify your vision and get rid of your vision blockers? Well, I just keep it, you know, on the forefront of my mind at all times. I can show you right now that here's my vision for this year. I keep it right in front of me on a little piece of paper. I look at it all day long and, you know, I know what my why is. I know what my goals are. You know, I talk in my slate program about developing strategy and leverage and anticipating and focusing on you and your case and your vision. And that's what the slay methodology is. But the very first step of developing your strategy is creating your vision, creating your goal. Where are you going? I think sometimes people get so mired in today's fires, whatever they are, I need to put out this fire or that fire or this, or why is this happening? Or why is that happening? Or I've got this emergency on my plate that they forget to figure out where in the heck do you want to go? Right. And random driving equals random destination. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, said set that. the GPS, where right. do you want to go? Right. We, we don't want to be uh, the derby, the where they wreck cars, the boxcar derby. We want to be NASCAR, where they know where to go. They know when to pull over and they stay on that track. Because otherwise it is. It's like a boxcar where you're just crashing and driving all over the place. I don't know if this is like a age analogy these days. Maybe don't, these don't even exist anymore. But when I was a kid, they had these bumper cars. And, you know, oh, yeah. invariably you would end up in the one that was like stuck over in the corner and like... You weren't anywhere, right? I mean, because right. you, you didn't know how to steer. Or where am I going? <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. I love that. I love this. Don't get mired in today's fires. Very well said, Rebecca. I love it. And I love that you have the goal. You got to know where you're driving to and you have it right in front of you, first and foremost, reading it, thinking it. And then anything that comes across your plate, then you can go, does this, is this congruent with where I want to go? Yes or no. Or I had somebody else tell me, park it, maybe next year, maybe in 2020, maybe another quarter. So, you know, cause we like, we're entrepreneurs. So we like to try new things. Ooh, I'd like to try that, but don't go too far. Cause you have to stay on point. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, having a really, really strong vision. And I always say, get really specific about your vision yes. because, you know, if you go into a restaurant and you say food to the server, the <laughs> server is not going to know what it is that you want. You know, you have to go in there and say, I want the steak and I want it medium rare. And I want it just like a little bit of warm red center. And I want this on the side and I want it like that. And I want the salad without the croutons. And, I, you know, you got to get 
get really, really specific. Otherwise, you don't know where you're going. I love it. I love that singularity. We need to really be single-minded in our focus. I love it. Okay. So we covered the four prices of leadership. And I thank you for the tremendous insights you gave us. And your leadership journey, anything else you want to share with our audience, with our listeners, any words of wisdom or experiences you'd like to leave them with? Yeah. So when you are going to negotiate with anyone, whether it's a narcissist or anyone, make sure two things that I always say. One is that you and you alone define your value. Mm -hmm. If you think that the other side is going to do it for you or just hand you anything, it ain't going to work that way because they're out to find value for themselves. And so, you know, you have to, of course, provide value in order to get value, but you also have to decide what your value is so that they feel like they want to give you something in return. Nobody wants the Kmart blue light special. I mean, you know, nobody wants the crap that's left on the clearance rack. That's why it's like $2. I mean, you have to define yourself as a person of value and why the other person should be giving you anything in return. So that's number one. And number two is people will think what you tell them to think. And it's so simple, but so true and so powerful. If you tell them to think that, you know, you're afraid or you know, that you're fearful in any way. And I'm sorry for asking this, but maybe you could possibly give me something. And, you know, if you come up like that, you're not going to get it because you come off like the Kmart blue light special. You have to say, you know, this is who I am. And then that's how people will see you. You define how people see you. People will think what you tell them to think. I love it. Oh my gosh. All right, Rebecca. Okay. How do people get in touch with you and tell them about your books, your podcast, all that good stuff. We'll have this in the show notes, but what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Well, so my website is RebeccaZung.com and I have all kinds of things there. I do have a free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet for your listeners. It's at WinMyNegotiation.com is the URL. It's something super easy. If you want to win your negotiation, go to WinMyNegotiation.com. And it's actually an ebook. It's 15 pages. It's totally free. And I've given it away to thousands and thousands of people now at this point. And so Crush My Negotiation Worksheet is at winmynegotiation.com. Come follow me and subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Rebecca Zung. And if you just put in negotiating with the narcissist in YouTube, you'll see thousands of my videos pop right on up. I have two books, Negotiate Like You Matter forward was written by Robert Shapiro. And I have uh, Breaking Free, a step-by-step divorce guide. Both of those can be found on Amazon or anywhere you buy books, barnesandnoble.com, everywhere. And, you know, I have a podcast, Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm on Instagram at Rebecca Zung. And I do have a private Facebook group, which if people want to join, they are certainly welcome to join. Lots and lots of activity there, people supporting each other all day, every day. And that's Narcissist Negotiators with Rebecca Zung. I love it. I love it, Rebecca. Well, listen, for our listeners out there, please be sure and reach out to Rebecca. I have listened to many of her videos and downloaded the sheet and it's just, it's an incredible resource and go over to her channel and subscribe. And thank you, Rebecca, for being a part of our interview today. 
Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. And to our leaders out there, thank you for paying the price of leadership. Be sure if you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button. And if you would do us an honor of a review, we would be so thankful. Go on over to Tremendous Leadership and you can download free two weeks of eBlast and get into all of these YouTube uh, videos so you can learn all about Leaders on Leadership podcasts. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a tremendous rest of the day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.